Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hi, I'm Trisha Yearwood, and you're tuned to Furniture Today's On the Record podcast with Bill McLaughlin. Before we turn to Bill and his guests, I just want to give a shout out to the entire Furniture Today team and remind you that when there's something exciting to announce, you'll read about it first in Furniture Today. And now, here's Bill McLaughlin and On the Record. Welcome to the On the Record podcast. I'm Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. My guest this week is A.J. Brown, CEO and co-founder of Leeds RX. A.J., welcome to the On the Record podcast. Oh, thank you, Bill. Happy to be here. So um, what, for our audience who doesn't know and, and may not have read the story that we wrote about you and Great American Home Store, tell folks what exactly is Leeds RX? Um, you're not a pharmacy. <laughs> <laughs> we get asked that, yes. <laughs> you know, we're, we're a software company. So at, uh, at the simplest level, we provide software that operates up on the cloud and allows you to analyze your marketing data. The space we play in is called marketing attribution, and the name Leads RX was originally crafted as a way to kind of improve your prescription for leads. Uh, we all want leads. We want prospects. We want leads that turn into customers. And the struggle that a lot of marketers have before them is, how do I do that? What advertising channels are best? Is Google better than Facebook? Is tone of voice going to affect my, my prospecting and so on? And so LeadsRx is really about finding the right prescription for you to get that better lead flow and the types of customers that you want to get into your organization. So that strikes me as if for, I mean, specifically we're talking about furniture stores, right? And and one of the stores that you've worked with is the, uh, the Great American Home Store. And you specifically helped them um, as they were dealing with the pandemic. So I, I'd like to use that as kind of a jumping off point. What prompted that uh, that partnership or what prompted you to work with them and, and how did you help them um, improve their business, particularly during the pandemic? Because I know a lot of retailers have struggled with that. You know, the pandemic certainly has been a catalyst for a lot of marketers to look at how they do what they do differently. Um, it's The pandemic really is challenging. I think all of our, our experience base and our norms, things that we've come to believe and trust over the years. Um, and that really was the case with Great American Home Store as well. They came in thinking, you know, everything's got to be on TV. Everything's going to be on radio. We want visual things about our furniture and our product offering and our brand. And while that's true, it's not the only channel that, that really matters. But it's hard to know that when you've got bias and years, if not decades, of experience in those mediums. So for us, the, the the challenge with the pandemic was, how do we now market in light of the fact that nothing's the same? People can't come into our stores, perhaps. Um, they maybe are watching different TV than they were in the past. They're not listening to radio at 7 a.m. on their way to work because they're not going to work. They're working from home. All of those factors kind of come into play in addition to now that people are on computers more than ever, digital ads might actually be a better medium or a more important medium to address. So I think while the pandemic was that catalyst, that problem really always existed to some extent. I think a lot of marketers get complacent 
with their years of experience. And, and I'm not here to knock that. I think wisdom is, is everything. It's so important that, that as we develop our skill sets and refine them, that we're, you know, we're, we're a more important resource to our employers and we do a better job of, of marketing. But sometimes that does turn into bias. If all you've ever done is bought TV and radio for your, your company, and now you're chartered with also buying Google ads, you may be you know, inclined to still put most of your budget into what you know best. And that becomes bias and may not serve the company the best. So what, yeah? No, no, go ahead. Uh, well, so what we did for Great American Home Store is, is put in some basic measurement capabilities. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's a new step. So you want to be careful about running before you walk and before you crawl. The crawl step is start with basic measurements. Put some metrics in place that you can then look at on a day-to-day basis or week-to-week basis. And a lot of us do that with Google and Facebook. It's pretty easy. You can look at how many ad clicks you got, how many impressions of ads were served, how many people visited your website, and so on. And that's very easy to get going uh, in any shop. It's harder to do that, or has been traditionally harder to do that with broadcast mediums like TV and radio. But that was something we've done for about four years now. We can also tell you, in other words, of the people that saw your TV spot, how many came to your website, that consumers love taking digital action these days. Uh, they, Even though they see a TV spot, they don't run to your store in, in most cases anymore. I'd almost argue in most industries, nearly 100% of your buyers will touch your website at some point. That's not always true, but it's mostly true. And in furniture, it's more and more true because of companies like Overstock and Wayfair um, and all their sub-brands that, that grab your attention. The moment you Google sofas for sale, you're going to get to a Wayfair brand, if you will, and have to check out their products. So the, the, the TV and radio are still re- really important because you're going to catch that local person's, uh, that local audience by, by advertising, but you've got to be able to measure it. So the crawl step is put those measurement facilities in place. It just gets any kind of metrics going for you. How do you, I'm curious, and I'm sure some retailers wonder about this. If I'm going to be in a digital space, that means, okay, so let me back up for a second. If I'm competing in my local market, I worry about the guy down the street, right? Is my ad bigger than his in the local paper? Do it, does my, my ad better than his on local TV? But I'm basically competing in a regional, fairly small pond. If I go online, all of a sudden I'm competing with Amazon and Wayfair and Overstock and big, big players. So how does a small guy be effective in that kind of space? Layered marketing. And by that, I mean, you never want to rely solely on one channel, one medium to get your prospects in the door. So the fact is that Wayfair and Overstock have massive budgets uh, for their digital campaigns. Um, I, I heard at one point Amazon, I think, used to spend $12 million a month on certain keywords. Who can compete with that? No local merchant can really do that. But when you pair that up with a TV spot or a local radio ad where Wayfair often isn't looking or spending their time, they might do some national ads, but they're very rarely at the local local level. That gives you an ability to catch that consumer and get their attention. And then we have to you know, talk about the types of advertising you do. That brand name you have becomes so much more important because you are going to get that consumer is going to touch uh, a search engine like Google at some point to search for something. And you're going to really want them to remember your brand name, whatever that is. If it's Great American Home Store, 
you want them to type in great American something, great American sofas, and find your ad, and Google will serve it uh, instead of instead of uh, uh, Wayfair's. So I guess my point is use broadcast medium locally because you can use it as a branding mechanism and then stick with your Google ads to get people to your site. And guess what? You're going to see lift in those ad clicks because of your broadcast advertising. But again, that measurement piece is really important. Now that you can measure TV and radio, you can compare and contrast. You know, how did it work when I used the brand name three times versus once? Did it work better to have the brand name at the beginning, middle, and end, or only at the end? Did a male voice work better than a female voice? All of these ways to analyze you can now do with broadcast mediums. And that's new for most furniture stores that we talk to. They aren't aware of the fact that you can now look at those measurements just like you do on digital. When you go to uh, create an ad set in Google, you can have different headlines and different body text and different destinations on the ad clicks. And then Google will tell you, here's the metrics for that. Now you can do that on TV as well. And that's kind of cool. And how do you measure ROI? I mean, one of the things that I know retailers, I, I've heard them say in the past is, I know if I put an ad on TV that the week afterwards, I will have more bodies coming through my door. Now, they may not know exactly how many, but right, there's a there's a kind of emotional or physical manifestation that that feels like I know I got an ROI. How do you measure ROI in this new environment? There's two ways to think about ROI in the measurement world. One is what we call web lift, and that has to do with the traffic to your website. That's different than foot, foot traffic to your storefront, of course. It's bit digital traffic. We do what's called a spike analysis. And anytime you air a spot on TV or radio, for example, there actually is an increase in your web traffic for almost everybody. It usually happens around the second minute after a commercial begins, and sometimes at minute three. And what happens is that spike is quite pronounced and is obvious. And anybody would look at these curves and say, oh, yeah, I see that. I see how pe more people came to my website. Clearly, I'm getting some type of return on that ad investment by getting increased traffic to my website. Now, the downside. The world tells us that about 2% of the people that visit your website will ever become buyer. 2% okay? will ever convert. That unfortunately means a 98% failure rate or 98% of the people coming to your website are looky-loos. They're not quite ready to buy. They're not in market. So the challenge there is you want to make sure that you obviously have compelling web content to kind of keep them in that process. But really now what you want to measure is foot traffic and sales on your showroom floor. So believe it or not, new, new measurement systems like LeadsRx and some of our competitors can do that too. Uh, we can help you track the person that comes into the storefront, buys a sofa, and, and leaves as a happy buyer. We can, uh, uh, in essence, relate their purchase decision back to the ad exposure that they might have had, whether it be on broadcast medium or digital ad clicks. And it gets kind of tricky about how we do that. It's worth a whiteboard discussion, but the science is there and it's actually very cost effective. Um, this is different than what we call foot traffic measurement. How many people walked in the door? That again is sort of a looky-loo measurement. And I'm okay with that, but I'd rather look at the actual people buying the, the, the furniture off the showroom floor. And that's what we kind of specialize in. So what is that process of bringing someone in when, when you get them in, what do you do with them when they get there? How do you make sure, and you mentioned content, certainly that's one piece of it. 
what's the process of taking someone from that first visit all the way through? Is the goal to convert them on the website? Is the goal to bring them into the store? What's that conversation? What's the process as that proceeds? Yeah, my recommendation is to go as far as you can digitally. Ultimately, people are willing to buy online. Wayfair and and Overstock, of course, have popularized that concept and made it legit. And certainly the younger generation is going to expect that. In other words, that's maybe the only way they're going to buy. Now, that never replaces the fact that we'd like to touch fabrics. We want to sit on furniture. We want to make sure the table feels like our family's dining room table. And, and showroom sales are, I think, essential to that. But nonetheless, there's a growing population or growing audience of people that want to conduct everything online. Look at Teslas. You buy a Tesla online. Even if you go into the showroom to test drive a Tesla, the, at the end of the day, if you say to the salesperson, I'd like to go ahead and buy it, he or she's going to flip a computer over to you and say, okay, here's our website, buy it. And that's how you do it. So that metaphor is becoming more normal. And it, frankly, it's more cost-effective for you as a retailer to get involved in that. So I would, I would highly recommend you want that experience to be as e-commerce-like as you possibly can. can. And that sounds expensive, but you, you, I think a lot of furniture stores don't realize there's products like Shopify to simplify that. Shopify is an e-commerce platform that you literally just kind of upload pictures, point and click at a few things, and you've got a product on your website. It doesn't have to mean you have to bring in a professional photographer and build a website and hire uh, developers to do that. There's now off-the-shelf systems that really ease the pain of taking credit cards and processing them and, you know, making sure that shopping carts aren't emptied out at the last minute. Shopify is just one example of that. But start with one of those systems. Then it does take some creative eye, of course. There's a lot of sex appeal to buying furniture and buying, frankly, anything on websites. Um, And they're still very different than catalogs. If you get a catalog in the mail today, it looks and feels different than if you go to that same merchant's website and try to buy products. So you have to have a little bit of that design element. But there's now experts, and they're not expensive. You know, they're 20 bucks an hour, 30 bucks an hour kind of people to help make sure your website is flowing properly and presenting materials in 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 an ergonomic way, I'd say. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about the interaction that takes place when the customer comes to the, I mean, when, when a customer comes to a physical store, I think every retailer knows what that looks like, right? You have a salesperson who greets them. If you use the up system, it's who's ever up next. And you know what that, that qualification process, that sales process looks like. What does that process look like in this environment? I think you can qualify people online. We know that 98 some percent of them are going to visit your website. If you can help qualify them, to the point of purchase online and get them into the store to make the final deal, they walk in the doors as in-market buyers. Now, I realize a lot of people that come into furniture stores don't do so unless they're ready to buy anyway these days. In the old days, there were a lot of people that shopped around and looked around and, and strolled, strolled about the furniture displays. I think that's kind of less the case these days. But I think the point is, if you can get them online, get them to the point of purchase and and have them still come into the showroom, that's okay because that gives you an opportunity to you know, find compatible products with the ones they're buying to kind of finish out their rooms and to, to give them more uh, opportunities, I think, to to spend with your store. Uh, but that can be everything from coupons to, hey, bring this piece of paper in with you or download a tear sheet. 
there's there's ways to kind of get that consumer interaction on the on the site digitally, but still having to come into the showroom to make that final purchase. Then when they walk in the door, they're much more educated. They've done the comparison shopping. They've got their dimensions maybe written down. They've already figured out something what's going to fit and what's not going to fit. I think your your uh, uh, salesperson is still going to have a an opportunity there to to upsell, to be perfectly frank, and to help that consumer make the right purchase decision. But it's going to be with somebody that's already in market and ready to go. Is the salesperson now engaging with the customer on the site, or does that take place at a different step? You know, I I go back and forth on that. Again, measurement's going to help you decide. I think every store is a little bit different. But you can put chat box or chat systems, you know, live chat systems on your website, pop it up and see if the consumer engages. And again, systems like Leads or X can, can count that as what we call a touch point. And then we can later analyze and say, hey, out of all the buyers you had in the last six weeks, 90, 90% of them use the chat system, then we know that's, that's worthwhile to, to invest in. Automotive dealers have found that to be useful. For example, the chat systems are, are really helping them qualify buyers and to answer their early questions. And when they do come into showroom, they're much more ready to, to kind of finish the deal, if you will. But I think that varies from from uh, uh, furniture store to store because we're dealing at a local level, and often the proprietor is in the store, and the culture of the store and the way we approach our customers is different, and that may be a strong differentiator for one store versus the one down the street. So if that kind of communication is your style, and that's the way you want to interact with your consumers and to build trust and and so forth, then do it. Uh, just be sure to measure it. Make sure it's paying off for you. Uh, and I think we'll we'll see the result. Well, that was something, wasn't it? This is Trisha again for Klausner Home Furnishings. From my very first collection, I knew I'd come to the right place, that Klausner understood what I wanted to do with my furniture, how I wanted to share my recipe for comfortable living with the world. Now let's get back to Bill McLaughlin and see what he and his guests have to share with us. Let's talk about some of the results. Um, how did it work out at Great American Home Store? And And just... Some of this is public, so we're not, just so people understand, we're not revealing proprietary information. Some of this has been shared. Yeah, I think, you know, with, with Great American Home Store, they had some interesting issues where one of the, uh, one of the folks on the marketing side, actually, I think was one of the owners, uh, was really strong on broadcast on TV and just thought TV was the place to put all the money. And then the new kid came in and said, no, I think Google's the place to put the money. And there was just a, a real friendly, you know, debate uh, between the two saying, no, mine's better. Yours is better. Mine's better. Um, and we see that a lot. We used to see it in like we had a, a radio client early on that sells power equipment for yard care uh, through retailers and such. And they were always on the radio. And, you know, they would they would have some campaigns that would talk about the versatility, versatility of their equipment and others on the portability of the equipment. In other words, you can use a leaf blower for five different jobs, or you can easily move the leaf blower from point A to point B. And they would always joke with each other as well, which campaign was working best. And this same thing was happening at Greater American Home Store. You know, does TV work better than digital? And by simply installing basic measurements, that, like I mentioned before, they were able to kind of kind of see that right plain and day. And it turns out digital was actually doing some really cool things. And, and importantly, it was also telling you which of the TV spots was doing best. Uh, so of the ad creatives that were in play, there were some that were just working better than others. And it was just useful insights that boiled down to an analytic approach that nobody was offended by. Um, and even though it was friendly banter back and forth, it became analytically evident what was happening. And there was a winner. 
and they can high five and 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 be okay with that. And it's just one way where again analytics can help you kind of stay on track and remove what what may have been personal bias because that's what you know and and turn it into what's right for the business. More importantly, is how do these two things work well together? It's not this one or that one. It's this one with this one, and in what capacity? Um, and that that was, I think, the real benefit to Great American Home Stores to look at what we call multi-channel attribution or cross-channel attribution to see how all these things work well, uh, work well together. Now, uh, they actually have gotten a pretty significant sales lift um, in their e-commerce from this, haven't they? Yeah, in fact, the company really made a strong pivot towards online sales. It actually was something they had started before the pandemic. They just knew that that furniture sales needed to be online at some point. And so they had started that. But what happened with the pandemic is they needed to accelerate that uh, very, very quickly. And again, because they had measurement systems in place, they could very, very quickly see what was working within the campaign on the fly. Uh, in flight, if you will, and make these agile changes on an iterative basis, like once a week, so that they could drive the right type of traffic to their site. So think of it as, hey, we've we've got the e-commerce pieces on, let's put metrics in place. And oh gosh, we just found out that 90% of the people coming are searching for maybe dining room table chairs and we don't have them up yet. Let's get those online as the next piece. And now let's find out if the digital ads are driving people that want that product or not. And if not, let's change it. That all takes metrics. You have to have, again, the measurement pieces in place so that you can quickly identify what may or may not be working and then make the change and adjustment to see if it improves it. We talk a lot about wasted ad spend. And while that sounds like a horrible word, I think we all know it's out there. I think a lot of us have spent money on marketing over our careers and thought, God, I kind of hope that works, but I'm not sure it will. Well, now you can tell. And wasted ad spend is not a bad thing if you catch it in flight and can stop it. That's the whole point. You want to do things in the campaign flight. Don't wait six weeks to change something. Change it tomorrow. Now, you can't always do that with broadcast, right? We buy our inventory from broadcast weeks out, but you can do it digitally. And that that's what's important, I think, for Great American Home Store. You raise an interesting point. You say, do it tomorrow. How long do you need to wait? I mean, obviously, you have data almost instantly but how do you what, how do you look at that data and say this is actionable i should make a change now or i need to let this germinate longer what's are there some yeah. metrics around that are there there's some best practices in terms of understanding um how to ask, ascertain the best the best time to take action you can get really geeky about this stuff and and statistically significant and so on it just depends again on your appetite for some of the, the some of the metrics. But I'll give you one example. In our product, for example, you can look at each spot on TV. We'll just use TV as an example, but it applies to radio. You could look at each spot on TV and we'll tell you how many people came to your website and how many people bought. So you'll know if the spots you ran on CNN, a really expensive network, bullish or some local network, let's say, versus another paid off. We'll give you the ROI for the dollars you spent on that TV commercial versus what you got in return for sales of furniture. And armed with that knowledge, you can see exactly the conversions you're getting and whether it's wasted ad spend or not and make an immediate shift in your ad spend because of it. And that's a real fine, you know, detailed level analysis of 
did this spot pay off? We saw, for example, uh, during the election, we worked with a retailer that was selling um, uh, uh, one of the products they sold in their store was heaters, uh, or excuse me, airflow systems, air purifiers. And they advertised on CNN. They were national. Uh, they had national stores. And believe it or not, they sold a ton of, of these air purifiers uh, during uh, the election on CNN. For obvious reasons, everybody was watching CNN at that time to see who was winning the election, but they weren't profitable. The spots were so expensive for them and for the product they were selling off their showroom floor that it did not pay off. And yet the ones they ran, I think, on Nickelodeon <laughs> at the same time were profitable for them. And so they got some really valuable insights by looking at that detailed level. But then, not to belabor this point, you can go all the way to the top of the stack and say, how's Facebook doing compared to Google? Two digital spends. We think of Facebook as being a great source of referred business. Our friends bought something that maybe they post about it on Facebook and other friends sees it and buys it and trusts it. Doesn't that work better than Google? You can tell that at a very high level with analytics again, you can see whether that, that premise is really true. Now, just between you and me, we often see that it's not true. What we typically see with retailers is that Google tends to be the better source of customers. The customers tend to spend more money when they find you through Google. Those who find you from Facebook just seem to spend less. It's not that they don't spend, they just spend less. Why do you think that is? Is that because Facebook is more likely to be an accidental interaction, whereas Google starts out being more purposeful? Well, now you're getting into the human psychology of things, and that's not something we do as a company. Uh, if I had to hypothecate, I would say yes. I think there's um, there's sort of a kismet when uh, when you when we find something ourselves, right? For some of us, when I go out on Google and I'm searching maybe for the best um, coffee I could find, and I and I spend an hour researching, and I come across some website, I've got an aha moment. I love that. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I accomplished something. If I, buy, if I buy something that was referred to me by a friend of mine, yeah, I'll buy it. But it doesn't mean I, I found it, right? I don't have the same enthusiasm for it, probably. But everybody's different. I think that just involves, depends on who you are as a human. I, I'm curious um, <clears throat> in terms of personnel allocation. And, I, and I'm going to flash back five years. I can remember um, a speaker who was talking about the importance of social media marketing at one of our conferences five or six years ago. And his ad, he was advocating that you needed to be on social media. Interesting that at the time you had to convince people that they had to be there, right? Not, not how, but whether or not. And, and his advice was get a millennial in your office to post this stuff because they understand that stuff. Now, obviously, we are light years ahead of that in terms of sophistication. But if I'm um, allocating resources, if I'm a retailer and I figure out how do I staff appropriately, how do I... How, you know, what do my RSAs do in store? If, if I'm going to work with this type of a program that you're talking about, to what extent are there new skill sets I need to hire for, new skill sets I need to train for? How do I, how do I staff? What, is, what does that process look like? For social in particular? Well, for, for social, digital, for, for, for realigning, if I wanted to take this model and apply it to my advertising. Right. So whether it's social, digital, um, television and that interaction process, if I'm bringing people in onto my website and I'm going to sell them on my website, do, do I need to have live human beings there? Do I need to have live chat versus chatbots? Um, should I be allocating RSAs to be 
engaging, should they have iPads so that they can engage with customers in that way? So I'm trying to understand as if I'm a retailer and I start to undertake this journey, what does my staffing situation look like? What adjustments do I need to think about making to be successful? I think social is the biggest way to make an adjustment that's impactful here. So in my opinion, I think sales associates need to rise above just being um, walkers of the showroom floor waiting for somebody to walk in the door. I think when you're when you've got idle time, that's that's when you want to take a couple of pictures or something and put it on on the company's Instagram page. Instagram is an amazing channel. We see it convert almost five times higher than Facebook, for example, and yet they're the same company. But those pictures speak a thousand words. The younger generation loves it. And what you're doing and by doing that is if you let the sales associates post on the company's Instagram feed and add a comment with their name or even their picture, you're creating an influencer network and a, a little bit of celebrityism. So when those consumers walk in, they can say, oh, I saw your post. Or I see you. I saw your picture on the post, too. And that whole interaction changes, softens and gets better just by the very nature that sales associates are not just here to to sell you, right? There's always that feeling, I think, when we walk in the door and the associate comes up and greets us, that's wonderful, but we know we're gonna be sold something. If you can create that interaction offline first and gain the trust of the consumer, then I think you're making great strides. Touch points, all marketing touch points should should be enhancing the trust between the prospect and the brand every single time, whether it's a TV commercial, a chat window, an Instagram post, Everything we do should be instilling trust. And the best way to do that is with humans. It's with the sales associates that you pay a lot of money for and that have years of experience talking about furniture. That's where the trust can start. So I think you open the floodgates and you let these people now be free flowing. Teach them how to do that. Give them the skills. They do it at home for their personal uh, social feeds all the time. Just, you know, I think give them the authority and the power to do that for the company. And I think you'll see a lot of a lot of gain there. When it comes to more mundane things like Google ads and Facebook and just plain old Facebook ads, I don't think there's a lot you can do, except make sure your team is educated on that. The worst thing you can do is have a, have a Google ad that talks about some in-store discount or product that's available and the store associate have no knowledge of it whatsoever. That's just a, a miss that is uh, un, unforgivable <laughs> this day and age. I realize it's tough because so many things are going on. But there needs to be some type of daily roster that says, here's what's happening on Google in case somebody comes in and talks about it. You raise an interesting um, point there about celebrityism and and using your your sales associates as um, influencers. I'm curious what the best practice is in terms of posting on the company account and then creating some personal interaction. What's the strategy? What's the best practice? You know, I think everybody, you got to be professional at this. So you don't want to use personal feeds here. I don't think you want to ask your sales associates to post on their own Facebook pages or, or Twitter accounts what's going on in their store. Keep a separation there because that's what celebrityism is all about. We don't know how Kim Kardashian really lives. We only know how her Twitter feed reads, right? And she's very careful about creating a separation between her celebrity personality, if you will, and herself. That's what makes celebrities. So you do the same thing with your store associates. You give them a personality that they can be on the company's time, in a sense, 
and give them the, the free ability to do that. What you'll find out is that these people will rise to that occasion. Once they know there's a firewall between the fact that they have three kids and play basketball on the weekends and that they're here to help you, help you select the right furniture for your home, it changes everything. So my point is, let them be a, a, a company person in their celebrity uh, uh, acting role, if you will, and teach them how to do that. You know, I used to do a lot of events, uh, trade show events and things like that. And before the show floor would open up at eight in the morning or nine in the morning, I had a quick casting call in the booth. And I said, okay, we're all actors. We're all performers. Put the coffee cup down. Don't eat in the booth. Put your game on. And we're going to act like, you know, we're professionals here and and be somebody that, that is going to be helpful to the people that walk in here and want some advice. Don't be who you normally are. I don't mean to be disrespectful for that. But once people realize they can be somebody different, they are, and they rise to that occasion, and the selling just works. Hmm. So <clears throat> let's say theoretically somebody wants to to initiate this kind of uh, of a program. Um, there's always a cost associated with that, an investment. Um, there's always a time, you know, the, uh, an implementation implementation time. I have to stick to two syllable words. Um, <laughs> So what does that look like? What If I'm a retailer and I'm starting to build this kind of a program, how do I budget for that? And what kind of time frame? I mean, anytime there's, you say the word technology, I think people sometimes kind of freeze up, right? I think everybody has experienced an ERP Im- implementation and it's it's probably one of the, the most painful procedures you can have outside of a surgery room. Um, so when you say technology, I think sometimes people get a little... Uh, a little freaked out. So what are we talking about in terms of the the implementation from a time standpoint, from a disruption standpoint, um, and from a cost standpoint? Yeah, you know, there's sort of small, medium, and large uh, ways to think about this. And I I think the trick here is to not bite off more than you can chew or afford. You don't have to start by putting 100% of your inventory online with beautiful, beautiful photography and tons of digital ads. You can start smaller than that. Start with, you know, the living room department or the bedroom department. Put a few products up there and see how that works. Use these off-the-shelf systems like Shopify and Magento and and other systems that do so much of the work for you. They're very affordable. I mean, they're they're literally you know fifty to hundred bucks a month to use systems like this that do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. And the, um, the nice thing about them is you can grow. You can start small and get to the medium stage and the large stage without without much bigger investment. So I think that's one of the first mechanics. Now, from a measurement standpoint, software like ours and other competitors of ours, it's not going to break the bank. It's usually based on, again, the size of your business and the amount of sales you're doing or the amount of marketing you're doing. I like to tell people that analytics is roughly, well, 1% or less of your budget. So if you're spending $100,000 a month on marketing uh, in general of your ad campaigns, then you know for a thousand bucks or less, you're going to be able to use analytics software like ours to help you improve that spend. And that sounds like a pretty reasonable investment. Wouldn't you invest one percent in something to get better at spending the rest of your money? Um, and that should be the same value prop that you have with with other technologies as you go along. If you see it more than one percent, I wouldn't do it. I think it's too much. I think it's not going to fit your model. Um, stick to that one percent number on 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 the mathematics sides here, and I think it'll be it'll be fine. Is this software that is independent, or does it need to integrate with any other existing systems? 
It depends. Um, so if you, I'll just speak to our software since I know it pretty well. Uh, in our case, we integrate, for example, with your chat system. So if you are using uh, a chat bot or chat system on your website so that a salesperson can reach out proactively, we integrate with that. There's a couple of buttons you push and some credentials that you type in to do that. Our system will also automatically integrate with Facebook and Google to retrieve information about your ad campaign so we know what they're costing. Um, and we can put that data automatically into our system. So the integrations are, are important. They do take a couple of minutes to set up, um, but you want to look for that. If you are pulling in information about Google and Facebook and chat systems, then you want to look for integrations. That's important because you don't have, you probably don't have an IT team, <laughs> I guess, as a furniture retailer, and you probably don't want one either. I'm guessing that, you know, the first person to have built your website is probably now in college and he or she is not even accessible. You've got to get better than that. You do need a professional team here or use a Shopify system to get your website into the realm of, of modern day times. Um, and from there, you'll, you'll be pretty good to go. But you don't need an IT team. Look for software that has integration points with other systems because, you yes, you will need them for sure. Great. AJ, thanks so much for answering all my very intrusive questions. I really appreciate it. Oh, you bet. <laughs> it's been quite an education. I, I feel like I get a master's level education every time I do one of these podcasts. It's really great. So thanks so much. No problem, Bill. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, my guest this week was AJ Brown, CEO and co-founder of Leeds RX. Thank you for listening to the On the Record podcast.